This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Hey y'all, thank you so much for tuning in. This is actually part two of my interview with Karen. Um, If you haven't listened to part one yet, you can always go back in the archives and check it out. Um, We get a chance to talk about um, overall, basically the representation of Black queer people in media. So we're just going to jump right into part two. And the, and the thing I like about Pose, to kind of circle back, I love the fact that Pose has these two black, if they're not teenagers, they're in their early 20s. I think Jamal is a teenager, though. Um, not Jamal, Damon. But I think that to, we don't often see black men paired with other black men romantically on TV and in film. They're often paired with white men or, you know, just non-black right. people of color. And I think it's like you're seeing these two black men having this having this uh, romance on Pose. And the episode where they went to go get tested for HIV, you know, um, I was certain that it would come back positive for Ricky. And the fact that it came back negative for both of them, you know, not to shame people, obviously, who have HIV or AIDS. And like, obviously, people who have HIV and AIDS, they they do date and they do have romances. And that's a part of life. But this way in which the the pose opted for them to sort of be this glimmer of it's very romanticized and it's 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 a it's kind of a fairy tale romance with damon and ricky and i like that i like that there's a escape right. we need those too exactly like, I, I want some fucking black queer fairy tales i want some queer fairy tales of color i want to see like people of color queer people of color have that too um because i mean that that is that does give some type of hope and optimism and we need that in our our children need that and all the kind yeah. of of like queer kids need that we need it we're basically the same age and like to have had something like to have seen something like Ricky and Damon on Pose when we were in high school, that would have been so cool. Oh, it, would have, it would have been so impactful and so powerful to have that because I, I remember just kind of growing up and looking at, um, you know, seeing like love stories and stuff and they didn't resonate with me in that way um, because I just didn't I didn't see myself reflected in them at all. I um, mean, to be able to see especially um, it, it, and it, there is a different quality to it, too, when it. Um, black men, but to be able to see black queer men be loving and to have be able to have that access to like a fairy tale type of thing means a whole lot to me. And it would have been incredible to be able to see that. Um, it would have been able to just, yeah, it's just like, that's not something that we see. Um, so it is, it, it, it's revolutionary in that way, but it, it kind of, it saddens me because I'm like, this should, it, it is revolutionary. It almost shouldn't be like, it's like, why do we, we should be able to just have these stories. Like, cause we deserve the same breath, you know, and scope of nuance as anyone else. And we just exactly. don't get that. And exactly. Like, why is it revolutionary? Because it is, because there's not enough of it. And also like Damon and Ricky on Pose, they're not coming out of the closet. Like they're, this is not a coming out narrative. I'm so tired of coming out narratives, Javi. <laughs> I don't want to see any more coming out narratives. I want to see people who are out already. No, I agree. Who are? When I tell you, I feel you. I'm so. It's the one of the um, episodes that we were working on. Um, we talk about that. I'm like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of coming out. Like, I just want to see people out living their lives. Like, I want to see. And, and then, and without all this other stuff going on, like, I want to be able to see. Black queer men living their black ass lives, being happy and carefree and without the, this looming threat of something um, kind of some kind of violence or trauma fucking it all up or, you know, or see, you know, just queer people of color being able to be their them, their full selves and and just live normal lives because that's what that's what we do. And that's one of the reasons why um, I know 
I, it probably gets on my wife's nerves, but one of my favorite things, kind of my reality TV is, is um, I watch YouTube and I'll watch vloggers and I watch a lot of queer couples living their regular ass lives, having kids, working their jobs or not having kids or just doing whatever, you know, they're doing. They're living regular lives. They're going on dates. They're taking vacations. And I just like to see that because I'm like, I don't get this in mainstream media. I don't get this like on TV and in movies and stuff. This is where I go. Luckily, we do have YouTube as a resource, but it was so groundbreaking for me. And I'm grown as hell. But within the past few years, I've I started watching that and it has been groundbreaking for me because I'm like, I get to see regular ass people. I get to see these queer couples just live their lives and I don't get to see this anywhere else. Yeah, totally. And I I watch some of that stuff, too. And like, I, I just love that because of the nature of those couples and those queer couples of those queer people of color being able to share their lives so readily just because for better or worse for better in this case there's less distance between us and people online but I just think about the fact that and this is kind of a question I have for you which did you grow up thinking that like romantic love, like a romantic loving relationship with someone of the same sex, like what is portrayed with heterosexual people in media. Did you grow up thinking that was possible? Because I didn't I didn't think that was possible for myself. Hmm. No, I I didn't. I mean, I didn't have I didn't have anywhere to look like I didn't have any example. I knew how I felt like and um, I knew I was just talking about this the other day, but I knew even at a young age, like when I would envision my life, uh, I always envisioned my life with a woman and I always envisioned like having a family and all that kind of stuff. But it did in a lot of ways seem like this very abstract thing because I didn't have anything to compare it to. I didn't have any material to work with to fill in the blanks. So it looked very kind of abstract. I knew how I felt. I knew that if in my heart, this felt like what fit me, but I didn't have anything. It's kind of like, oh, well, you have the outline like in a coloring book, but you don't have any crayons or any pencils or anything to actually color it in. That's how. Oh, I just felt that in my chest. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's how I felt. I'm like, I have the outline because it's me. It's my identity. And this is how I feel. And I knew it was genuinely how I felt. Like I knew that I adored, you know, I adored women. But yeah, I just, I didn't have any kind of context to situate it in. You know, I didn't have anything to kind of fill it in. So um, that's why even as I got older, when I, you know, became an adult and start really like uh, watch, paying attention to YouTube, even now, like, it became so major to me. Even now, it's still to this day is very major. Like I'm married, but I can see other married queer people. I can see a, a queer lesbian, like I see a lesbian, black lesbian couple and a queer man have a child together and live there. Like what? Like this is blowing my fucking mind. I get to see this played out on a screen and I never got to see that. I'm like, oh, this is a thing. And I'm not the only person who is like envisioning this, that kind of thing. Um, So it still to this day blows my mind because I don't have that anywhere else. And I wish I had it when I was younger because I I felt very much like an outsider kind of looking at possibilities for other people. Me too. Yeah. One of my distinct things, one of the distinct things I remember growing up was in Living Color and um, the men on film sketch where they're sort of, do you know what I'm talking about? Where they're playing like, it's uh, I think David Allen Greer and Damon Wayans mm-hmm. playing. No, I'm familiar. My bad. I was oh. muted. but I thought oh that's what yeah that's what the world thinks of gay black men that's all gay black men can be you know and it was just that's not a great thing that that sketch is funny as fuck I still watch that shit and laugh but that's not there are no examples for us in terms of how to fall in love that's why like so many queer kids end up going on the internet and looking for, well, at least when we were in high school, like, you know, where do you go? You go online because like, where else are you supposed to find your community? No, that absolutely is what I did. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. So when I was trying to um, date, 
you know, and like form relationships. Um, I that's what I did. I went online and I went on Downlink and MySpace and Black Planet and, and to meet people. And I mean, it was funny because my I mean, I met my first love at Vox, <laughs> crazily enough. But oh, really, um, mm-hmm, but uh, yeah, which I'll have to I have to let my listeners know about Vox because they're probably like, what the hell is she talking about? Because that's how I met Karen. But I'll circle back to that. Um, but a- <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I didn't I didn't know what else to do. I didn't you know like I saw. Um, with my peers, one of the things that was like a just a thing to do as a teenager back when the underground was actually popping, we would go downtown and hang out like around underground and um, go to the mall. This is when, like now it's so absurd to me. I'm like, kids hang out at the mall? What the hell? But, but as a kid, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I would see kind of these little ritualistic things happening between like boys and girls and just kind of how they courted each other and how they, I didn't have, I didn't have any examples of that. So I didn't know what to do as a black queer girl if I liked a girl or if whatever, um, I didn't know what to do with that. I was just kind of like, eh, okay, I don't have any kind of example or any path to follow. So I just, I just, I went online because at least I'm like, okay, well, I can say on this profile or whatever who I am and what I'm interested in. So that kind of gets that out the way. So we can just. <laughs> right. And, you know, there's this way in which, there's this way in which queer people of color, when we're teenagers, we almost, it's almost like we're waiting for our lives to start. And I know that all teenagers feel that way to a certain extent but that's definitely how I felt where I'm like whatever is out there for me it can't be here because it's not possibly here it's not possible for me to have it here and be safe you know or to feel safe or to feel like I could you know live openly you know I love living in Los Angeles so far away from I don't even want to say far away from everybody because I miss so much about Atlanta and I miss obviously my family but I love that I came into the city as an adult more or less and I wasn't I wasn't wearing any sort of drag that was trying to I wasn't wearing any sort of like straight male drag that was trying to keep me safe or anything like that I didn't feel like I had to do that ever and that is that's profound though because so much of our and it's it ties back into the trauma that you were talking about but so much of our existence is about survival is about well, let me do what i need to do to be safe and so a lot of times um that's what i did you know cuz i was very around the time when i kind of started coming to vox and all that kind of stuff i was very tomboyish i still am but my presentation, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But definitely as a teen, I was a lot more, um, I had, my presentation fluctuated a lot more and it was a lot, a lot more um, masculine. But I started, I shifted it. I started shifting it. I remember in middle school and everything, I was very comfortable, like dressing more masculine and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember this shift uh, for ninth grade. Um, I just was like, I, I need to dress more feminine. And I started dressing more feminine. And um I, I started trying to kind of blend in more because I I didn't want to feel so isolated. Um, and so and part of that was a safety thing because I didn't want to be targeted. And I had been. I had been. So I was like, OK, let me change this thing about myself to try to minimize the likelihood. Now, of course, that only goes so far. I'm still a woman. <laughs> so there's you, that. You, you were we were you were trying to make yourself small, which is what well, I mm-hmm. think. Oh, Absolutely. Say. So much of the things I did, so many of the things I did were to try to shrink myself. Absolutely. Like I look back at it and so many, so many of my behaviors, so many of my choices revolved around me trying to shrink myself because I did not want to stand out. I didn't want to be targeted. Yeah, exactly. Like I had this, I had this thing that I'm still working on getting over, which I didn't even realize was a problem where like laughing in public, like laughing at work when no one else is laughing, where like I would try to cover it up and make it seem like I'm coughing. I'm like, 
but it's laughing who cares it's laughter like why are you trying to like make yourself smaller and stifle your natural emotional reactions to things like why are you trying to make yourself quiet it, and it seems it seems stupid but it's, mm, it's no that's that question right there why are you trying to make yourself quiet that encompasses all of that why are you trying to make yourself quiet also like we don't live in a country where laughing in public is illegal we we might get there considering the way things are going, but we're not there yet. So let me laugh out loud. No, I mean, that is, it is important. I mean, it's so interesting to me to just kind of look back at, hmm, look back at like things I used to do and how I operated and why. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, for me being here is very different. Um, is very different. And I don't, how long have you been here? How long have you lived in LA? I moved to LA in August of 2009. So it'll be nine years next month. Wow. I just heard myself oh, say Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So maybe, maybe over time it, things will shift for me. I mean, they have shifted some already. Um, but it's so interesting to me because one of the things that you mentioned about there's a certain way that you're able to kind of navigate being out here um, that you weren't able to do in Atlanta. And for me, in a lot of ways, it is, it's, the opposite. Um, in some ways, I am more conspicuous here um, than I was in Atlanta. And I do, I definitely miss the blackness of Atlanta. Lord knows um, that I miss. I probably miss that I more than anything. Other yeah. than my family, I mean, I miss my family because they're all there. But outside of my family, which is just like, that's a typical thing, it's the blackness. Because um, here's very different. And I am, it is like a bit of a culture shock and I'm trying to adjust. But I am conspicuous in a in a way that I was not in Atlanta. Um, because in Atlanta, it was kind of like, or I guess maybe I'm conspicuous for a different reason. Right. Maybe I think that's what it is. Because it is so black, I wasn't conspicuous because of my blackness. Do you find with, I, I don't know, I don't even know if this is a thing, but like, do you find that there's more among the black people in LA? No, I do think this is a thing, that there's more aspirational whiteness among the black people in LA versus the black people well, in Atlanta. Absolutely, because the black people, because Atlanta is, when you look at like our, um, the community is so like steep. There's like this, I don't know, it's like steeped in blackness in a way that not a lot of places are. Um, and so it is different. And so I think, but a lot of times it just has to do with proximity and and kind of the makeup. So, I mean, LA, LA's um, kind of uh, racial makeup is just different. Um, and so I do find that it, it hmm, it's just different. Like even uh, looking at things like respectability politics and stuff like that, it plays out differently. It still plays out, but it plays out differently. Um, in the South, I feel like it's a lot more uh, steeped in religion. And here I feel like it is more about like proximity to whiteness. So I don't know, it's a very interesting thing to me. So I do feel as a black, as a dark skin, black queer woman who's who's fat like all those kind of things I feel highly conspicuous here in a way that I definitely did not in Atlanta so that is very um that's something I'm still acclimating to um because I I do notice as I navigate spaces and with my job I go to different sites um because I have to go see clients at their job sites um just yeah I'm I, I feel like I'm looked at a lot more differently now in Atlanta I was harassed. I got harassed a lot by guys. Like it was ridiculous, like on a daily basis. So I did feel conspicuous, but it was, I felt conspicuous as a woman, not really for my blackness. Out here, I feel conspicuous because of my blackness. Right. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, I definitely feel conspicuous in certain spaces in LA for my blackness more so than in Atlanta. That's for sure. But one thing I was talking about in terms of agency and like being able to be more open here, I think a lot of that's just because of my personal narrative where I was born in Canada. I moved to Atlanta. My family moved me to Atlanta when I was 16, so I had no choice. Uh, but I made 
made the decision to move out here. Like it, like so much of being in LA feels like it was just a conscious choice that I made that no one else made for me. So that sort of has played into me being able to live openly. It's just, it's a very interesting thing to navigate um, being here, but I do feel like um, it's very important that you had that agency and that you had like we we need things that are for ourselves and um that was kind of one of my biggest struggles in terms of transitioning to being here because in Atlanta I do feel like I had things that were for me um even just like the spaces that I chose to um to rest in and stuff like that and so I have to kind of find that here. And I think that was a difference with you being able to come here and be like, this is something that this is for me. Um, It doesn't have to be perfect, but it still matters a lot. It still is very, very meaningful that it's a place that you can be yourself um, and that you have a lot of like agency in like deliberately choosing. It wasn't like, oh, well, because a lot of times we we don't get to choose, you know, we're growing up, we're kind of going wherever our parents go or, um, you know, we don't have agency in that way. So to be able to choose it for yourself is important. Yeah, I think that, I think people make, I think people kind of look down on it and they don't judge it. But I don't think that a lot of people who do that, they don't realize that a lot of people, for most people actually, they don't have the resources to ever, like most people are born in the same place and they die in the same place simply because it's not possible. It doesn't feel like it's right. possible for them to, to leave. Like it's it's like sort of what happened during Hurricane Katrina where they're like, oh, well, why did all these people stay? I'm like, well, where were they supposed to go? Right. Well, when you are, when you have a certain type of privilege that is very hard to fathom for you, like just leave. It's a privilege to just be able to just leave. You know, that's not something that is a reality for a lot of people. Um, that's yeah, that access, you know, that's not something that everyone has access to. Right. Um, and, and when I left, you know, people were t- people in my family were definitely saying, oh, like, why are you leaving? Like, why are you going to go? Across- why are you going to go do that? And I'm like, well, you know what? They were they were not consciously trying to make me feel like it wasn't possible, but they were definitely trying to put into my head. Oh, it's going to be very hard. Like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what, though? Like, it's not impossible and it's something I want to do. So why should I limit myself? And I just I just don't want queer queer um, teenagers of color to feel like they are limited, even if they are actually right. limited practically. I don't want them to feel like they're limited in terms of like look for resources. You know, a lot of right. times it's told not to even look for resources or not even to try. Yeah, it's the difference between being limited in terms of practically and being limited mentally and aspirationally, mm-hmm. um, and which definitely ties into like what you're talking about in terms of polls and just in terms of narratives in general. Like when we look at polls and Moonlight and Love Science and and all these kind of narratives, it does all boil down to part of it is accessibility and part of it is just kind of like what we what we do and don't think is possible. Um, and so us being able to see more of a broader scope of narratives does give us more to work with in terms of what's possible, because that's why when we were talking about, OK, well, as when I was younger, I didn't see, you know, I didn't know how this could happen because I didn't see it. That's exactly it. Um, so it's like people can be um discouraging when you have this aspiration of like, okay, well, I'm going to move across the country. And they're just like, why would you do that? Or this, it's going to be really, really hard. But we need some kind of narratives that's showing us that it doesn't necessarily have to be really, really hard. Or even if it is, it's still possible um, to at least infuse some type of hope and some type of possibility. Um, and we just don't get that. Um, and definitely not on the scale that we need. So that's what a lot of that boils down to is we need for, um, for queer people coming up to be able to see that falling in love is a possibility. 
uh, you cultivating your life the way you want is a possibility. If that means you moving across the country, that's possible. Um, anything that you can conceive for yourself and for how you want to curate your life, it's possible. And so I do feel like that's what it, um, for me, kind of looking at the common thread among uh, like the things we've been talking about, that's what it is, that there is that possibility. So even someone telling you, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. you know, it's and- still important for you to be able to, to do it or even try doing it. And it would have been really, really impactful for you to have something else that you could look at and be like, okay, this kind of reinforces my my own personal um, kind of my personal aspirations or whatever, or my personal optimism that this is possible for you to be able to see that reflected too. Like, okay, I see people in media. I see that reflected in media in terms of queer people falling in love, queer people doing this, or um, not just about relationships either, but just queer folks having agency and choosing their lives. Right. And so much of that is projection when people are saying to you oh it's going to be hard what they're saying is if you go and do this thing and accomplish it it's going to make me feel some type of way because i didn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah and i just i don't want anyone i i would if i had told myself at 16 that i would be where i am now you know i in terms of like living in another city so far away from my family and you know actually ma- being able to support myself and just having the level of control over my own life because that's the worst part of being a teenager is that you feel like you you want control over your life you feel like you don't have any control over your life and you just want to have some kind of indication that that's going to end at some point and i don't think that queer kids of color through media representation I don't think they get the idea enough that that's going to end like I don't think they get an idea that they are going to have control right. of their life ever they're starting right. to no that's true so hopefully it changes no that's that's definitely true we do need to see more of that agency reflected because when we look at that's what ties into the trauma issue too because when everything is so steeped in trauma when all our narratives revolve around um trauma then that's what we see and so and we see so many outside, like external forces acting on us. Um, so we're objects and not subjects. Um, we're just the recipients. And like you said, we're receptacles. Then that is very limiting, you know, if that's all we see. And so we do need to be able to see that there can be more than that. You know, there can be more than just um, trauma and and that everything doesn't have to end in that way or it kind of leads to that path. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, of course, a lot of it is when, when you kind of express what it is that you want to do and someone is kind of going against that. That's their own stuff. Um, but it's also very bold because you are imagining and working towards something that some people don't even think is possible, you know, so it's kind of like it's on a personal level, it's something that's revolutionary. But for, you know, queer people of color more broadly, we do need to see that. Like, I need to see um, you, like, living your life and being able to do this. And I need to see that portrayed, too. So, like, even seeing your story, like, if I'm like, oh, well, I see a Black queer man who relocated, you know, who did this thing, like, I haven't seen that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, even just the things we're doing in our everyday lives, I'm not seeing uh, portrayed. So, we still need some kind of context to kind of situate ourselves in so that we see a broader range of possibilities for ourselves. Yeah. And one, I, I completely agree. And one of the projects I'm trying to work on right now, where it's, I think it's like, it'll sometimes confuse people where they'll be like, wait, it's queer men of color and they're just friends and they're not, they don't have any kind of trauma behind them or they're not steeped in poverty necessarily, which all of those things Mm -hmm. are valid experiences, but that's so much of what we see. And they're like, oh wait, well, is one of them in the closet? And I'm like, no, they're in their thirties. They're past all that. And like, it's so much of it is, well, it either has, if it's going to be like that, where they're like, oh, so is it like really campy and funny? I'm like, no, not especially. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so, yeah, it has just, to be a catch. It has to be something. <laughs> yeah. Other, otherwise, you know, the question that they're asking when they're asking all these questions is, okay, so why aren't these people straight and white? Right. And I just want to get us, I just want to move us to a point where we're not asking that anymore, where we can see like, to quote Cardi B, regular, degular, schmegler ass stories about <laughs> weird people of color where they're, you know, where, I don't know, like any romantic, I was going to say you've got mail, but that's basically Love, Simon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I, when you were talking about that, I was uh, thinking about this film I saw when I was maybe like 18 and it was like uh, the incredibly true adventure of two girls in love. Um, but it was an interracial couple, you know, it's like Nicole Ari Parker. And um, I can never remember this actress's name, but she played Tina on the L word. I cannot remember her name, but it's like them two. And she's like a little masculine. Um, uh, um, is it Mia? I think I know who you're talking about. I can't remember her yep, name. I, I cannot remember her name, but um, even that I'm like, it, I, it resonated with me because it was so just ridiculous and cute and, you know, it had this like carefree elements of it and they had some issues, but they weren't, um, it, it still was fairly, you know, light, fluffy, whatever. Um, but she had a white, you know, it was an interracial relationship. She was, you know, with a white girl, um, in order for them to be able to be that way. And she had to be a certain class too. She was like, you know, middle-class, she was, um, kind of more well off than the white girl. The white girl is kind of like, okay, well, her family is a working class queer family and they don't really have much and versus the black girl is from like uh, her mom, has like her parents have more money and she's more well off and all that. So that's a whole other, I won't even spiral into that, but. And there's, um, there's colorism there too, because mm-hmm. it makes me think of how I remember thinking it was so, I remember thinking as a kid, like, oh, there's a lesbian couple in Set It Off. But of course we all know how Set It Off ends. So that's not like right. a lesbian black couple. Right. Of course. And like not ambiguous, but like black, <laughs> you know, and they don't feel, like and they don't feel bad about it. And the friends, the friends do not make them feel any kind of way about it. Right. It's just this is just this is what it is. Their relationship is what it is. Yeah, that's mm. but you see how it ends. So it's like it's so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't spiral. But yeah. So, no, I do think the reason why that article just stood out to me because it's something that, you know, I have been having conversations with people close to me about in terms of how this portrayal is. And and part of it was something I had, hadn't even really fully talked to anybody about in terms of just seeing things like Moonlight and Pariah and seeing how these endings and kind of what the implications were um, for them to be able to have this these possibilities, you know, for them to have possibility, whether it's they had to leave um, the, their black <laughs> communities or if they stay, then it's, like, you know, more tragic or whatever. Um, so it just was really interesting to me to see, like, how you connected those dots and how, yeah, it, it is very tiring to see everything just dripping in trauma. I'm just so over it. I'm like, I, I we need those carefree narratives. We really do. Um, and part of, too, with doing this podcast is I want us to be able to share our own narratives and because we're going to no one else is an authority on them and they do run a spectrum. So, you know, we can have conversations that are not all about our trauma or all about our, you know, we can just talk about, you know, those carefree things and the other things that we're doing in our lives that make us whole people. We can talk about ourselves in our entirety. So that's really, um, really, really important to me. Yeah. Okay, I so. was watching, I was watching, sorry, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I was watching this movie Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. This is a 
beautiful movie, but they would never, it's essentially a movie about nothing. And when I say it's a movie about nothing, it's a movie about the internal psychology and dynamics of a marriage. And I'm like, they would never let black people make a movie like this about ourselves because they'd be like, well, what's the gag? Like, why are they black? Where it's like, right. we're complicated. We have, we have stuff too, but we don't get to have like, I'm not to say that it's an ordinary because like, it's a big artistic statement in terms of a movie, but we don't get to have movies like that where we're just interacting with each other, you know, interacting with each other and we're not explaining our blackness to a phantom white audience you know right like, or we're not you know in some type of way vying for our humanity like mm-hmm. look at what we've gone through don't we deserve to be treated like people you know that kind of thing oh gosh yeah but it's like we are capable of all of that nuance because of course we all have that um you know it's such it's so ridiculous that the belief is that if all of that exists like if all of that nuance exists in the people involved must be white. <laughs> you know, it's like exactly intricately tied to whiteness, which is so interesting to me. Um, yeah, I'm just like, okay, this is so, we are much more than trauma. Like we're so much bigger um, and fuller than trauma. It may be a part of our stories, but it's just not the entirety. It's not. Yeah. How are we on time? I, I'm pretty sure we are, well, are we like at an hour and a half? <laughs> so I to- told myself I was trying to be better on time. I was not. <laughs> was a good conversation. It was. Um, I definitely appreciate, I appreciate you being willing to have a conversation with me. I already knew from the jump i'm like okay so i'm gonna have to have you on more than one time it just is what it is um, <laughs> like it just because i was reading all this stuff and i'm like get out my head oh my gosh um not just that but just um reading your writing and your having seen your insight and stuff like that has is it was just very very refreshing um it was refreshing and, it, and it's one it's another one of those things that's like bittersweet honestly because it is refreshing and i i do find myself kind of snapping being like the amen corner but it also it is bittersweet because i'm like well damn we like really do we have to explain like we gotta break this shit down too like damn you know um so it's kind of like that that kind of thing but no i definitely want to be able to have um more conversations with you and uh, because yeah you brought up a lot of stuff um that's really really important and i was asking yesterday i was asking my wife i was like okay listen to this information about like these few articles and tell me which ones you pick and between the two of us i'm like damn we're gonna end up picking all of them so we can't that's not (laughs) like that's basically what happened like she was like oh this one this one this one and i'm like well damn um that doesn't help me at all it didn't make it easier at all um so we'll have to definitely um definitely kind of circle back to some things no absolutely and i love i I love that. I love the platform that this, I love what you're doing with this podcast and it's so necessary. And I love the platform that you're giving and so many of the guests I had never heard of before or I had, and it was just, it's so interesting to hear all these stories and the ways in which they intersect and the ways in which they don't, because we're all different and Mm -hmm. we're coming from different access points and perspectives. And I think I want to hear all of it. Like give me all of it. (laughs) That's, that's, you just explained like exactly why I did it. I'm like, I want it. Um, you know, when I was looking at these videos, Videos and I get to watch these, you know, black queer people live their lives and um, get to see them have joy and optimism and carefree, you know, carefreeness. Um, that was part of it. And I'm just like, I want to hear from black queer people. I want to just I want I want it all. And the more that I talk to people, the more that I'm like, I want to hear more um, from them and from other people. So it's been a really I don't know, it's been quite an experience. It it has in some ways kind of taking taken on this life that I could not have imagined. Um, I just knew that I was craving this. I'm like, I need to hear this. 
like directly from from black queer people uh, just all across the board. And so as I'm talking to people, I'm just like, you know, I'm getting my life, but then I'm, I'm seeing the response to it and people that are listening every week and all that. And I'm just like, it just blows my mind. It really does. Yeah. And what you were saying about it becoming like taking on its own life and becoming its own thing. I think that that often happens for content creators, especially I think like women of color, women of color, especially black women. And my, you know, you know, we, I won't say her name, but you know who my best friend is. And she'll sometimes ask. Yes. She'll, oh, sometimes, I love <laughs> she'll sometimes ask, she's a black woman and she'll sometimes ask, should I be on Twitter? I'm like, no, it's awful. It'll be it'll be worse for you. <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, it's true. It's true, but also funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, obviously, I'm like, do whatever you want. But like, if you're asking me would I do it if I were you? No, I don't think I would. I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I could handle. Mm-hmm. I've just I've just now started getting death threats. And it's scary wow. time. Yeah, it is. Getting harassed and all that. And yeah, and I know her, so I'm just like, Lord knows. They'll be trying to damn commandeer her shit so quick. I mean, because that's what happens. Like, you'll see, you know, folks are just like um, leeches. <laughs> just trying to take, uh, yeah, no. I'm just like, no, it's probably better for you not to be. I don't like, know if you're really I'm missing not, much. If you're really trying to promote something and get that game and get your stuff out there, it's like, yes, it's a good resource for that. Like, you no, know, full disclosure, I'm recording this podcast. Oh, I'm recording this Skype call or whatever. I'm doing this podcast on a laptop that I got because of donations I got from Twitter people. And, you know, that was such a great resource and I never would have been able to have that, but it's not it's not always worth it. And so I I think it's great that you're taking that chance and you're putting out such necessary content because you know what? You're going to have people who are just not going to be, it's not going to be everything to everyone. And that's always so difficult. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel the same way where like I, I, I decided to do my own with, with um, my podcasting partner because we were just like, you know, we could sit here complaining about what all these other podcasts are doing, or we could just like get off the pot and do our own. Yeah. Fill the void. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that sometimes it does um and we're just talking now so i already know charmaine (laughs) charmaine i'm just like we're just talking so whatever we'll go back and be like what do we need to cut um but that's the reality is sometimes again and I, i talked about this with somebody i don't remember at this point who it was but we do a lot of times you know create things for ourselves and i know sometimes it gets tiring sometimes it does like i got to a place where when i came out here you know i'm like okay i'm trying i'm seeking community and part of um Part of it was just me navigating my own mental health stuff. I mean, I was in the midst of a major depression. So like, you know, people will reach out, like you reached out to me and was like, oh, you know, we should link up. It was you and maybe like a few other people who did reach out to me. Um, and I was just fucking depressed. Um, so there's that. I'm just kind of getting on the other side of that. But outside of that, I was really missing that community that I felt in Atlanta and I wanted it so badly. And I tried to, I was tired. I was tired of having to create certain things for myself. I was like, why do I always have to be the person? Why do I, you know, kind of going through that. What is it about, what is it about Los Angeles where like Los Angeles is such a, it's such a, lonely city to be depressed in like i've had i've certainly had bouts with depression and it's so it feels like it's amplified here for some reason Hmm. that's that's valid i mean i've dealt with depression like i i've dealt with kind of like a mild form of depression for since i was a child so there's that but then um the major depression i mean i had never got had that level of depression that severity of depression until here um and it was just i felt isolated in a way i had never felt before isolating that's what i should say it's it's Mm -hmm. Because it's not like, no, 
like obviously I'm not implying that people in Los Angeles are more depressed. I'm saying if you're already prone to depression, like mm-hmm. the isolation you feel, it feels more intense. It does feel amplified. No, I think you're right. It 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 definitely did feel amplified for me. I mean, and I think there were a lot of things that factored into it, but um, part of it is just kind of culture and feeling, you know, conspicuous in a different way and blah, blah, blah. It, and it did feel amplified. And so that's something I had to adjust to. And so now I feel more adjusted to kind of like how LA feels and um, it being a different kind of isolation. And there are people who I, you know, connect with and stuff like that, but it's just different. And that was such a adjustment for me. And so now I feel, I mean, I feel better because um, I have gotten acclimated to it, but coming into that from a place where I felt very much steeped in community and very like connected to the community and doing a lot of stuff in the community was a huge shift for me. It really was. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's it's not, it takes a while too. Like I, I still feel like I'm getting my bearings in Los Angeles, honestly. I still feel like that. It does take time. I mean, it's been, I've been here uh, not three years yet. This is what July, August, <laughs> close to three years, like a little bit over two and a half. Um, I came in November, 2015. And for the bulk of that, I mean, it's, it, it it wasn't until probably I didn't start feeling differently and start feeling like less <laughs> depressed um, until probably towards the end of last year. So my first the bulk of my first couple years um, was me being like majorly depressed and feeling very, very isolated. And, and I did, you know, like I started like a meetup group and all that kind of stuff and some things that come from that some. But it still was like just a lot. Um, a big adjustment. So um, I am still getting my bearings, but I I just don't feel not like I don't feel isolated. I just don't feel I guess I just don't feel the same about it. Um, or I've just gotten used to it. <laughs> That's probably more so what it is. Um, I've gotten used to it. And I and I've and I've gotten a chance to see more of the pros of being here because there are certain things I have access to, like the mental health care that helped me get through that major depression that I didn't have access to in, in Atlanta. So yeah, and that's that's great that you are able to like there, you have more resources and at least if you don't have the resources at the ready, you have access to find out where they are and right. you know like this it's hard but it's never impossible. It's not I don't want to say it's never impossible, but you know if it's if it's if it's very difficult but it's possible, you know right. it's that's still better. That's, <laughs> that's better. That's at least you have some hope. It's like that what we've been talking about with the at least there's a possibility. You know, and a lot of times that's really what we need is we need some kind of glimmer of hope so that we're not just kind of in darkness. You know, yeah, um, I know that we are that they're all as always. We're, you know, a little pressed for time. So I do want to thank Karen for coming on, for being willing to have a conversation with me. Um, it's been awesome. Um, it really is like I like I told you in the beginning, I'm like, I already know I want to do it again. <laughs> so as long as you're open to me harassing you from time to time. <laughs> Hey, you want to be back on and talk to me some more um, and deal with my craziness, then yeah, I definitely would like to because not just because even well, for one in your writing, you know, there's definitely a lot of content to work with there, but just in your life, just you and your, you as a person and you and your story, um, there's a lot to explore there. Um, and I definitely feel like there are people who will be able to to relate. And it's, and it's important to me too, to have your voice as a black queer man um, on the show too. So I'm definitely appreciative um, and I'm excited because I'm looking forward to folks being able to tune in and kind of participate in our conversation. Yeah, no, this was so much fun and I really appreciate you having me on and I would definitely love to be on again. Like I said, I think it's really important that you're doing this podcast and I'm really excited to be a part of it for this episode and talk about everything we talked about. I feel like the conversation was so organic and just natural and I feel like we both said a lot of things where like I you definitely said some things where I was like, oh wow, I didn't even see that. Yeah, no, that's mutual. <laughs> that's 
that's definitely mutual. I actually, I did share on the BRQ uh, Facebook page a link to your page on Rewire News. So it's just like the main, basically your profile or like your um, writer's page so that it has the links to all the articles. Um, but I also posted a link to the specific article that we were referencing um, about Pose. And um, so there, there's a link to that too. And it's really, it's a, a must read. Like that's why I shared it because it, it definitely is really, really good and opens the door to a conversation that needs to be had that I would like to see explored more. So um, I definitely want y'all to check it out. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And check out Rewire in general and support them if you can. It's important now more than ever that we have good journalists. They employ mm-hmm. a lot of women of color journalists who are mm-hmm. on the ground doing the actual work about immigration and reproductive justice. And yeah, they're, they're a great outlet. Yeah, they are. They really are. They're one of the ones who I kind of... Uh, source that I actually trust. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, so yeah, I definitely am digging them. All right, so I think that's a wrap for this recording. Am I right, uh, Manny May? That's a wrap. <laughs> All right. <laughs>